Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, those of you who were, were here Wednesday, uh, you got to participate with us in our Ash Wednesday service. Uh, this is something fairly new. I guess this was the third time that we've done it. Uh, but it is the beginning of the, the church season of Lent, and that's not something we especially talk about a lot in the Baptist church. Uh, but I would encourage you to, uh, to look into that on your own uh, during these next uh, six weeks, I guess, leading up to Easter. Uh, and just consider how the, the time of, of preparation, uh, in which, which we look inwardly uh, at our need for a Savior, uh, as well as looking forward to what Jesus does for our sake in, in, in his sacrifice and in his pain, uh, and ultimately in his resurrection. So just a word before we actually dive into our sermon uh, is uh, I would just in, encourage you to, on your own, look into that and just begin to look forward to Easter uh, and, and ask God some questions about, you know, he's already beat sin in your life, so uh, in what ways does, he need, does that need to become more real for you? Uh, and, and to struggle with that a little bit over the next six weeks. And then when Easter comes, we celebrate the forgiveness that we have. We celebrate the righteousness that is given to us from God. Uh, we celebrate the resurrection that defeats all of that sin. Uh, but it is good, at least for a time, I believe, for us to just reflect over our need for what Jesus does on the cross. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1 verses 8 through 11, if you brought your Bibles with you. If not, Scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Um, this sermon actually kind of goes hand in hand uh, with the idea of Lent and Ash Wednesday uh, that we talked about this past Wednesday. Uh, but we are in our second, <coughs> we are in our second sermon uh, in our Bible or Babel series this morning. And as I told you last week, we're going to look at several cliches that the church uses. Say the church, Christians, and a lot of times even non-Christians use them because it's just easy to say those cliches in difficult moments uh, and, and, and look at whether or not they are founded on truth of Scripture or whether it's just something we like to say to one another. Um, a little caveat I probably should have given last week that I didn't is there's, there's a hint of truth in, in each of these uh, and, and more truth in some than others, uh, but they're certainly founded in many places, many times from a sense of half-truth, if you will. So the one we're going to look at this morning is a phrase that I'm sure you have heard before, and it is simply this, God will never give you more than you can handle. Why do people say that? Why do we say God will never give you more than you can handle? Well, first and most clearly, when you come to seeing a, a part of truth, uh, it, is, it is likely due to the fact that we are misquoting a certain scripture. And the scripture, I'm going to throw it on the screen real quick, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, and that scripture says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul writes there that God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And if you go and you read that passage in its context, Paul is talking specifically about idolatry in, in the context of the first Corinthians. And, and what he is saying basically, when it comes to sinful behavior, God will not allow you to be tempted or allow you to be tested to sin that you, beyond your ability to say no. But even then, in that passage, and we'll get to this when it comes to the cliche we're looking at, um, it's important to notice the second part of that verse, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that it's not something that comes from our flesh or our own ability, but it is rather, even when we are tempted, to a point where we can still say no, that it is God within us who enables us to say no. So what are some other reasons why we might say God will never give you more than you can handle? And this, I think, comes from some good places in our hearts. 
Uh, we're in difficult situations or more, more likely we're walking alongside other people who are in difficult situations. Uh, they're hurting. They've had an, uh, an extreme loss in their family. There has been a, a big break in relationship or there's something wrong with their job or money situation. And, and so we, we come alongside them and we feel like we just have to say something, Right? You know what it's like to be in that situation, don't you? Where you, you, you're in the moment, it's quiet, the person is crying, obviously in pain, and you feel like you need to do something to fill the void of chaos. It's not really a void because it's full of it. You know, it's full of chaos right in front of you, and you feel like you need to fill the void of silence with something to kind of ease the pain and break that chaos. That originates from a good place in our heart. That originates from this thing called empathy, where we see someone else in pain. It causes us to be in pain. We want to solve their pain and our pain at the same time. And sometimes we rely on these little cliches, these little phrases, in order to make that happen. It comes from a motivation to give comfort and hope to someone who is comfortless and hopeless. That is a good thing. And so we're obviously not going to beat anyone over the head for having said this phrase before because it originates from a good place. But ultimately, I think it also shows that we haven't really been there when we're walking alongside someone else. You have likely been in situations where maybe you've even had that phrase said to you. And something about it just seems a little short of reality. Seems a little partial when it comes to the whole truth. God will never give you more than you can handle, as if that's supposed to make you feel better. Ultimately, if you've ever been in a situation where things seem totally out of control and beyond your ability to handle, that phrase doesn't quite live up to reality. I've been in a few of those cases, not not necessarily personally, but I've walked alongside other people just to give you a few examples, um, when we were living in Brock several years ago, uh, there was a deacon, and his name was Jerry. Uh, and Jerry was, uh, he was a worker deacon. Uh, he's the kind of deacon that every pastor likes to have around him, like we, like we have in our church. Uh, if you need something done, he would do it. He took care of the grounds of the church a lot. But he also had rheumatoid arthritis, and it was really bad as his hands and knuckles were swollen, and it was something that caused him a lot of difficulty for many years, even before Cheryl and I got there. But he was still a relatively young man when we, when we were there. He was in his 60s. And he, he was going in one time for a pretty simple, they called it simple. I know it's a simple operation is an operation that's done to somebody else, right? And never done to you. Uh, but it was a fairly simple operation that, that he was going in for to do something with the arthritis. And long story short, he never woke up. He never came to after that surgery was over. And so his family went into the hospital, and I was there with them. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I almost didn't go because we had some other things going on. I thought it was going to be a quick in-and-out surgery. Certainly glad that I was there. But I remember being there in the waiting room and, you know, the hour that they said it would take turning into two and then three hours and not knowing exactly what was going on. Finally, his wife and the three daughters uh, being called back into the room with them and, and a little few minutes later, me being called in there with them and having to watch this family, three girls range, all in their 30s at the time, maybe one in, the late, in their late 20s uh, and their mother also in her 60s, again, relatively young people being in that room and, and having to see them make the decision that he's not coming back from the anesthesia. The doctors are saying it's not going to happen. He's not going to wake up. If he does, he's not going to be, have any quality 
quality of life whatsoever for the rest of whatever life he has left. And so they had to make the decision right there in the morning where they thought they were just going to wake up, go get some minor surgery done, come home. Everything was going to be fine. He might have to stay overnight, that sort of thing. They had to decide that day, just hours after that, that, that trip was made where they thought everything was going to be fine, they have to pull the plug and say goodbye. That was the first time as a young pastor that I was actually in a room when someone expired. And, and to say in that moment that God didn't give them more than they could handle, it, it was beyond any of our abilities to handle. It was beyond anything that anyone could say to make things better. Uh, another, explanation, or another example in Bront, uh, there was a lady named Eddie. Uh, and Eddie was this sweet widow lady that just exists in every church. We, again, we have some here in ours as well that was always kind and willing to help other people. You go over and you visit with her and it was just, it was a joy. You, know, you felt like you were going to minister, but then you got ministered too. She was just that kind of individual. The reason why she was a widow is because her husband had died of Huntington's disease. And if you know anything about Huntington's disease, it's this terrible degenerative disease that slowly affects over time that takes your ability away from you, leaves you essentially bedridden at one point before it finally kills you. It's terminal. Nobody knows how to cure it or even slow it down, really. And you also know that if you have Huntington's disease, that you have a 50-50 chance of passing it on to the next generation. It is completely genetic. They had three children. All three of them were diagnosed with Huntington's disease. And while we were there in Bront, one of her, her son, she had a son and two daughters. The two daughters, I think, had already been diagnosed. The son got diagnosed, and on a pure desperation, he committed suicide. And that was kind of when we came into her life. That was when we were introduced into that situation. Now, I don't know how anybody could bear that. So to look into that situation and say that God will never give you more than you can handle certainly doesn't seem to make sense. And I've told many of you about my sister several years ago, 2012, losing her husband. Suddenly, he had had some colonoscopy work, or not colonectomy work done, and was going back for a post-operation visit, had a blood clot hit his lungs, and died there in the doctor's office right here in Dallas. And I can remember when we were driving home back to West Texas, stuck in, in Dallas rush hour traffic. We left the hospital at like 4.30, trying to get all the way back to West Texas, and being stuck in the car for literally hours, five or six, trying to get back home to see her 10-year-old and 7-year-old kids. God certainly allowed something to happen that was more than either one of us could handle. You see, I was a pastor then, and I'm supposed to have the right words in those situations. And it's a little bit easier when it's someone else, but when it's someone that's close to you and someone that you share a relationship with, a sister and a brother-in-law, little cliches and little phrases really don't work because they're just not true that God will never give you more than you can handle. In those situations, that phrase definitely seems like babble, not Bible. And again, maybe you've been there where you've lost a career, you've been diagnosed with an incurable disease or someone else in your life has, and that resulted in a loss, losing a child, losing a spouse, sitting in the ruins of a failed marriage or other relationship. In those moments, it certainly seems like there are things that encounter our lives that are too much beyond our ability to handle. And so the danger of this cliche, God will never give you more than you can handle, is that it minimizes the pain of others. Is that it's basically like looking at someone going through something difficult and saying, walk it off. It'll be all right. You know, just, just suck it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, hope that tomorrow will be better, the power of positive belief, and just know that it will happen. God will never give you more than you can handle, so you certainly shouldn't be depressed like you are today. It makes us think that asking for help is weak. 
that we should be self-sufficient. God will never give you more than you can handle means that you got this. No matter what happens, you are able to figure it out. And it also leaves us, worst of all, leaves us unprepared for when we actually encounter situations that are beyond our ability to handle. That when we get to those moments, if we live by that cliche and we hear people say it, when we get to a situation where we're not only at the end of our rope, we're grasping for the rope above us because we've just lost it completely. When we get to that situation, we are left unprepared about what actually to do, who to turn to, who to lean on, what truth to actually trust if we really believe that God will never give us more than we can handle. Paul didn't believe it either. And the scripture that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians shows us that Paul also believed that there were some things that we encounter that we simply cannot handle. But he also gives us hope in the midst of that realization and tells us that trials that are beyond us move us to abandon our own strength for the strength of God so that we might not depend on ourselves completely, but God within us. Again, our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul and his companions, when they were in Asia, what we would call Asia Minor today, evidently went through some sort of difficult struggle, and that's probably understating it. We don't know exactly what's going on. This is 2 Corinthians. It's the same book in which Paul, several chapters later, refers to the mysterious thorn in the flesh that nobody really knows about. It could be the same issue that he's talking about here, or it could be something completely different. Suffice to say that it was something that Paul thought was beyond his ability to handle, a situation that left him despairing of death, despairing of life itself, something beyond his strength. Something in which he felt like, as he said, he and his companions, that they had received the sentence of death. They despaired of life itself and felt that they had received a death sentence. In other words, it would be like Paul saying that uh, one of two things. That could mean that they thought they were going to die. That they had come to that point where maybe it's from some illness or some outward force that they thought it was so so intense, uh, so, so violent, whatever it might have been, that they had assumed that this was the end, like that they weren't going to make it out of Asia Minor, that that was, that was all, that was the way that their stories would end. Or maybe it meant that things were so difficult that they despaired of life itself, meaning that they didn't even want to be there any longer. Paul echoes that sentiment elsewhere in his scripture when he says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He he definitely had a desire to go and be with his father. And so maybe it was that sense that this is so difficult. I would rather go home to be with the Lord. It would seem to be consistent with things he says in other places. Either one of those, and maybe even both of those, are emotions or or, or thoughts that he was processing that that I'm, I'm about to die or I wish that I would die because this is so difficult. 
It is part of the human condition in this side of the fall. It is part of the human condition to encounter unbearable suffering. Even for the most godly among us. Even for the most righteous. Even for the greatest missionary to ever live. Paul of Tarsus. Even for Mother Teresa and people like that. Even for Billy Graham's who has been suffering with the effects of old age for several years now. There are things that approach us, that encounter us on this side of the fall and and the effects that sin have had that are simply unbearable. You see, suffering is not what we were created for. It's not what our bodies were created for. God created us in perfection in the Garden of Eden for two things, relationship with him and relationship with each other. That's what we were created for. That's our purpose. Like That's why we exist, is to love God and love each other. That's it, which is why God in the New Testament, following up on that idea, tells us that through Jesus Christ, tells us that those are the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love people. That's what we were created to do and to live in eternity in that loving relationship with God and with people. We're not created for anything else. We're not created for achy joints. We're not created for stumping our toe. We're not created for the more serious pain of losing someone that we care about. We're created for relationship, not for relationship to be broken. And that's why when anyone sits in a place where they've lost a desperate relationship and there's people that try to come into that situation and say, oh, it'll be fine. God will never give you more than you can handle. The cliche we're going to talk about next week, everything happens for a reason. And we try to kind of coddle that situation and make people feel like it's not that big of a deal. That is unbiblical. That is absolutely babble. It is a huge deal to have a relationship broken on this side of eternity. It is impossible to overstate it, and it would be unchristian and ungodly of us to act like that's not a big deal. Because when a loving relationship is severed, that's not what we're created for. We are created for an eternal love, for it never to be broken. It is only the effects of sin that have corrupted that which God created, that that have brought the, the, the nature of sin and death into our lives. And it is only because of those things that relationships get broken, that pain even exists in the first place. We are not created for suffering. It is an effect of sin. And so when we encounter it, when we encounter true, deep suffering, that is something that we were not made to handle on our own. But in the midst of that unbearable suffering, Paul sees hope. He sees the value in suffering. And this is one of the things that that runs throughout, a theme that runs throughout all of Paul's writing. Because for Paul, there is no such thing as a moment that God cannot use. There, There is no such event that happens that God can't do something with it. Nothing in Paul's life. Uh, you know that the places in where he's recounting all of the terrible things that happened to him, the different times he got sick and he got snake bed and he, he, he was shipwrecked and all of these things. Like for most people, that would be a laundry list of reasons to be depressed. But for Paul, it is a reason to rejoice that God delivered him from that. And in this thorn in the flesh that he deals with later in this very book and in what he's talking about right now, he looks at it and he sees something good within it, that God uses that to remind him of his reliance upon God, his dependence upon God and not his own strength. You see, we only fully realize the strength of God when we realize our own weakness. It is only when we come to the point that we realize that without God, we are weak, that we can fully understand and appreciate just how strong our God is. 
And Paul was taken to that point often by Jesus. And when he was, he rejoiced. Isn't that funny about our Jesus? That hope is found at the bottom? Where most people would say it's a hopeless situation, that that's where Christians seem to find hope? How many times have you heard someone give a testimony And they talk about living on their own and how they were self-sufficient and they thought everything was fine, but then something absolutely terrible happened and wrecked their life. And that is the turning point. That is the moment for which they rejoice. Not when they were having fun in worldly ways, but when God brought them to their knees or allowed them to be brought to their knees so that he could finally show them what real hope looked like. Hope is found at the bottom in Jesus. Hope is found at the top two. Hope is actually found in the middle and three quarters and one quarter of the way through. Hope is found throughout the story when we follow Jesus Christ, but it's certainly found at the bottom. For Paul, there was always hope. Not only did he know that God had delivered him, but he knew that he would do it again. It's assurance that Paul talks with. He says he delivered us and he will deliver us. And then he says it again just to make sure that the Corinthians were listening. He will deliver us again. This is something that we'll repeat. It was to make Paul rely not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. Look at what he says. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul knew that even if he had died, hope was not lost. Not only is hope found at the bottom for Christians, hope is found six feet under for Christians. Like there's nothing that can extinguish our hope. Nothing. Like literally nothing, not even death, can extinguish the hope that we have in Jesus. Paul knew that even if, even if his fleshly mortal body had passed away, that there was still hope to be found in Jesus. There was still going to be not only a hope, but an eternal hope that would change his entire eternal trajectory. There is no trial or tribulation that the resurrecting God cannot handle. God will never give you more than you can handle is Babel. But Bible is that God will never give you something that God can't handle. Because there is nothing beyond the capacity of a resurrecting God, not even death. Paul ends this passage that we looked at by noting one final thing, kind of an addition that he also knew the importance of the people of God. He asked for prayer. He doesn't ask for it. He actually demands it, if you go back and look. He doesn't say, please pray for us. He says, you must help us by prayer. Realizing the essential nature of praying and what that does for him. So that many will rejoice when they hear about what happened. It's kind of how Paul ends this thought. In other words, not only do we need God, but we need the people of God, his church as well. God uses other people to speak into our lives. When I say the church, I don't mean this building or an institution. I mean the people, you guys. We need each other in that sense. And so when we come to unbearable situations, remember that trials that are beyond us move us to abandon our own strength for the strength of God. And so when you encounter the unbearable, First, realize and admit that it is beyond you, just as Paul did. 
We despaired of life itself. We wished we could die or we thought that we were going to die. Realize and admit that it is beyond you, that you can't fix this. And then take the burden to God. Ask for his help, his guidance, his leadership. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He provides comfort in those situations. He provides guidance in those situations. He shows us where to go when we don't know where to go. Paul even tells us, he tells us how to pray or prays for us when we don't even know the words to pray. Take the burden to God. And take the burden to God's people. You know prayer warriors, likely. If you don't, talk to me. I can point you to some. You know people in your life that care about you? that are Christians, that have a relationship with God and desire the same for you. When you encounter situations that are unbearable, go to those people. Take it to those people. God put those people in your life for a reason, for you to bless them and for them to be a blessing to you. And then keep your eyes open and look for God in the midst of the darkness so that you might see what Paul saw, an opportunity to realize that it's not about his strength, but it's about God's to be brought to the bottom, to look up, and to know that God is there reaching down to give a hand. You will encounter more than you can bear, but you will never encounter something that God cannot bear. And for that, we have hope. And so this morning, as we enter into our time of invitation, as you think about your ability to handle things, Maybe some of you, I know, some of you have gone through unbearable situations. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be the family of God to other people, to show them how that they might walk through difficult situations and lean on God, and perhaps God is laying someone in your heart to do that for today. Maybe you're in an unbearable situation, financially, relationally, um, medically, whatever it might be. I encourage you today that the idea that God will not give you more than you can handle comes from a good place, that you're going to be okay, you are going to be okay, but it's not because of what you do, it's because of what God does. And I encourage you to lean on God during this time and lean on God's people. Don't bear this burden alone. Whatever burden it may be, don't do it. It's ridiculous. You, you can't do it. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to burn yourself out. You're going to end up depressed or worse. Don't do that. We have each other for a reason. Lean on God and lean on God's people. And then, again, just keep your eyes open and watch for the way God moves. If you need to pray about this, any struggle you've gone through, you're going through, you anticipate coming through, I encourage you to do that right now. You can do that where you're at, obviously. But also know that the altar is open. If you would like to pray there, you can certainly come down and pray with me, either during our invitation or after the service. I'll be wandering around, and we could pray together. Let's stand up. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us to the song of invitation after that. And again, you go into prayer in whatever capacity you want to. Father, again, we thank you for your presence in this room, for your presence in our hearts. God, we thank you for your eternal and constant presence, even in the midst of pain and trial. And God, we rejoice together this morning over the truth that nothing is beyond your ability to handle. But God, at the same time, we humbly admit that there are things that are beyond us. God, I pray for the wisdom and the courage to lean on you when we encounter those situations. 
And God, I pray for the empathy of the rest of us that we might be attentive to when someone else is going through those situations and offer not our help, but your help. God, we thank you for doing what we can't and giving us what we can't deserve. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.